Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. I want to talk about storms a little bit this morning. Is that okay? Amen. I, uh, let's see. You know what? I left my, uh, I had printed out these passages, but we'll go ahead and look, look at them. Uh, there, I, I have to, to give credit this morning to Tony Cook. Something that, uh, that he posted about a week ago on his uh, ministry website uh, was really helpful to me. And it, and it answered a question that I've had for a long time concerning these kinds of events when these storms uh, come. And he pointed out accurately that in the word of faith camp, you know, Jesus said, whosoever shall say to the mountain, be removed and be cast in the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, it shall obey him. And, uh, and we know about the power of, of our words and the power of speaking. And Brother Tony pointed out, <clears throat> truthfully, that in word of faith circles, in churches like ours, and, and I've been guilty of it, Myself, but uh, uh, I've I've questioned some things. He made the point that in our circles, the default response to storms are to rebuke them and command them to go somewhere else. That is the default response, the automatic response from Word of Faith people. But Brother Tony pointed out. That and, and we talk about Jesus. We always think about Jesus stilling the storm. He came, you know, he was asleep in the boat and uh, the storm came and he got up and rebuked the wind of the waves and, uh, and they died down, the storm stopped. And we know that Jesus said, the things that I do, shall you do also. And, uh, and so Brother Tony pointed out though that in the Gospels, there are only two storms that Jesus ever was involved with. One was that storm where he was asleep in the boat and, and he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves. The other storm was the storm where he was up on the mountain. He had sent the, the people away and he went up on the mountain to pray and he sent his disciples to go ahead of him and go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So they got into the boat and in the middle of the night, uh, a, a windstorm came down on the sea and Jesus saw them toiling and it says they were in the middle of the lake, the middle of the sea. And so he went to them walking on the, on the water. And you remember the story, he got to where they were and they thought it was a ghost. They thought they started crying out in fear and he said, do not be afraid, it's, it's me. And, uh, and so uh, he came into the boat. Well, one of the gospels, I think it's Matthew's gospel, records the fact that Peter said, Lord, if it's you, uh, call me out on the water. So Jesus said, come to me. And Peter got up and walked on the water. Then it says that while he was walking on the water, that he got his eyes off of Jesus and got his eyes on the waves and the sea. The sea was still roaring. The waves were still uh, roaring. The storm was still going on. Jesus did not still that storm. So there there, there are six accounts of these two the first storm is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And the second storm I referred to is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and John. 
Go with me over to, to Matthew, and I don't even remember where it is now. I'll have to find it. Uh, I think it might be Matthew 14. I don't know. We'll see. Like I said, I had these printed out before, and I think I left them in the office. Yeah. It says, uh, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat, and this is verse 22, and go before him and to the other side while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the, mul- on the mountain by himself to pray. Now that when evening came, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. And immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. I want you to notice that in the first storm that we didn't read, but you're familiar with it, where Jesus was asleep in the boat, they cried out to him, he was, he was asleep. And they woke him up and they said, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? And Jesus got up and he said, where is your faith? Why did you doubt? He didn't say, why didn't you rebuke the storm? He said, why did you doubt? He said, where is your faith? No, he didn't say, why, why he said, why were you afraid? Where is your faith? Why, you were, why were you afraid? Where is your faith? He didn't say, why didn't you rebuke the storm? He got up then and rebuked the storm. So there were two storms that Jesus dealt with. One he rebuked and the other one he walked on. He didn't rebuke the storm. He walked on top of the storm. He called Peter out and Peter walked on the water in the middle of the storm. Now it says here, that when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. It does not say that Jesus rebuked the wind. Now, he might have, but there's no evidence that he did because it says in the previous uh, 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 storm that he rebuked the wind and the waves, but it does not say that here. It doesn't say it in Matthew and it doesn't say it in Mark. Both Matthew and Mark say that when he got into the boat, the wind ceased. Well, now, why did the wind cease? He might have rebuked it. I don't know. Or the wind could have just ceased. You know, storms come up and they go away. Particularly on the Sea of Galilee, sudden storms come up unexpectedly and then they stop just as quickly as they came up. So we don't know whether Jesus rebuked the storm or not. All we know is the storm stopped. It seems to me that had Jesus rebuked the storm this would have been a good place to tell us. But it doesn't say it. It just says the storms ceased. Now John, however, it's recorded in Matthew, Mark, John adds another detail. Go with me to John, the sixth chapter. He adds another detail to the storm. Matthew and Mark did not reveal. Now, 
it says in, in Matthew and Mark both that they were in the middle of the sea when this happened. And they had, mowed, they had, they had uh, uh, rowed here, it says, three or four miles. So the Sea of Galilee is quite large. And uh, in verse 20, he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Now they were in the middle of the, of the Sea of Galilee. And as soon as he came, the other two versions say, he came up out of the water and got in the boat and the wind ceased. But it doesn't tell us how. Here it says he got into the boat and immediately, without rowing, without any natural means of propulsion, suddenly from the middle of the lake, the boat is at the shore. That's a miracle. God transported that boat and the inhabitants, the, the occupants of that boat, supernaturally, immediate, just like you flash, snap your fingers, they were at the shore. That might account as to why the wind ceased because he took them out of the storm. So we have Jesus stilling the storm. We have Jesus walking on the storm. We have his disciples, Peter, walking on the storm. And then we have Jesus delivering them supernaturally from the storm. And as Brother Tony Cook pointed out, word of faith people never uh, take those things into account. The default response is we go after the storm, rebuking it, commanding it to go from here, go back out to sea, go from where you can. How many of you have, have heard that? How many of you have done that? You can raise your hand, I have. Uh, when this storm came, Irma, I wasn't, I wasn't led to rebuke the storm to go out to see or to change direction and go away. Now, I sensed just, I just had a witness that I didn't know, but I just had a sense that the storm was going to weaken. You know, they do that in the natural. They just weaken sometimes. I had the sense that this storm would weaken and by the time it got uh, very far into land, it would weaken very quickly and there would not be much damage. Now, I, I'm not saying that God told me that. I didn't have a word of knowledge or anything. I just sensed that, that it would weaken. Because of that, I really, I'm just talking about me. I personally didn't really pray about this storm. I because I had a, a, a sense in my heart that this storm was just going to be a weak storm, it was not going to be as bad as the predictions, I was not alarmed about this storm. I didn't know what was going to happen, but I wasn't alarmed about it, and I really didn't pray about it. Now, I'm not saying don't pray about it. I'm just saying, you know, when you're not really alarmed about something, and you have the sense that it's okay, it's not going to be a problem, a lot of times we just don't pray about it because we just don't feel that there's a threat. That's the way I perceive this. My, my concern is that in word of faith circles, we, the, like I said, I've been guilty of it, but for a long time, I've had this same response when storms have come. I've had this same when I hear people on television, Christian ministers getting up and rebuking that storm. And, and, and we've all seen it, we've all heard it. And I hear them, they get up, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command that storm to go out. Some people don't really know the difference between the anointing and bravado. 
okay? A lot of times it's just bravado going on, okay? And I've, it's always, for, for not always, but for a long, long time, that just, just something on the inside of me would, would t- get twisted. When I would hear these people just standing up rebuking this storm and I'm commanding this massive hurricane to turn around and go out to sea, something on the inside of me, would my response was, really? Really? Now, now be honest. Has anybody had that same response? And, but I never really saw the fact until point, uh, Tony Cook pointed out there were only two storms that Jesus dealt with. One he rebuked, but one he didn't. Evidently he did. Now he might have, but we don't have any evidence that he did. Now, Paul, on the other hand, remember Paul? Remember that there's only three storms in the New Testament. The two that Jesus dealt with and the one Paul dealt with. Let's go over to the 27th chapter of the book of Acts. Now, don't get your hackles up because I'm, you know, challenging something that maybe your favorite TV preacher said. We want to look at the Bible. See, it bothers me when, when Brother, Brother Hagen made this statement years ago, and I don't, I've tried to find it, but I know I heard it. I heard it on more than one occasion. I think I heard it when I was in his meetings. Matter of fact, I, I remember hearing him say it, but I haven't found it in his, in his books. But he, he made the statement a couple of times that people in, in our camp, he was referring to the Word of Faith movement, he said people build spiritual air castles. That's what he called them. In other words, they take a Bible principle... And, and from that, or, or a Bible scripture or a passage, and from that, or maybe they hear something that he or somebody else preached, you know, and they take something from that and build a doctrine that really can't be supported by a balanced look at the scriptures. And, uh, and, and that happens in a, in a lot of different uh, scenarios. But it bothers me when Christians... Uh, always stand up and take authority over things that I'm not sure they have authority over. And they want to push that on other people, encourage their followers to, to take a stand and to do things and to speak things. When, if, if it's not really valid or if it's not real clear, then we don't get the results and that's, that's not, that doesn't strengthen our faith. When people continue to do things and it doesn't happen, that's not good. Now, I'm not saying that results determine what you believe. I'm just saying if there's no basis for something and we continue to do it, then we don't get results and, 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 and it can discourage people. Amen? Now, I know people will get up and say that they rebuked Irma and it died down. Those same people, though, I heard them on television. They rebuked that storm and they commanded it to go back out into the Gulf. Well, it didn't exactly go back out to the Gulf. Now, they will say that they were responsible for it turning direction and going a different way. But I think the people in Jacksonville would probably not appreciate that. Because, the, because of the way it turned and the way it went, they got flooded. They had the worst flood in Jacksonville they've ever had. 
I was there in 1960. I was there in 1964, Hurricane Donna and then Hurricane Dora. Hurricane Dora came into Jacksonville, a direct hit right off the Atlantic Ocean. The flooding then was not as bad as it was in Irma, and Irma went way to the west of them. My point is when we claim things and we speak to things, then they don't happen, and then people still take credit. I just don't think that's, that's a, a valid approach to the Scriptures. What does the Bible say about it? Well, go with me to, to Acts 27. Are you there already? Let me get there. Acts 27. Now, Paul was en route to Rome. He was a prisoner uh, of the Romans. He was en route to Rome on this ship uh, to, to appear before Caesar, to give his testimony before Caesar. And it says that, uh, verse 5, when we had sailed over the sea, which is off uh, Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of, of Lycia. And there the centurion found an, an Alexandrian, ship, Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. Uh, that's not where I wanted to read. Verse number nine. Now, when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because of the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss not only of the cargo and of the ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than, he, than by the things spoken by Paul. You know, the majority is not always right. Amen. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also. Now, they went ahead and set sail, and we know what happened. Uh a big storm came up in verse number 14. And uh, verse 20, when neither sun nor, nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we should be saved was finally given up. Now, Luke is the writer of the book of, of, of Acts and he's writing from the first person here. He was actually on board this ship with the apostle Paul. He said, uh, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we should be saved was finally given up. But after long abstinence from food, Paul stood in the midst of them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. Isn't that what he said he perceived? He said, I perceive this voyage will result in disaster and loss, not only of the ship, but of our own lives. He said, now therefore I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you but only of the ship. Now how did he know this? For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Now, it's interesting that, that Paul didn't rebuke this storm. I said there are three storms in the, in the New Testament. Two that Jesus dealt with, one he rebuked, one he didn't, and this storm, and Paul didn't rebuke it either. We're not batting a hundred there, or a thousand, 
are we? So, so why is it that word of faith, all people always have the default response, I'm going to rebuke this storm, I'm going to command it to stop, to dissolve, to go out to sea, when we really don't have full basis for that. Now, you can say, well, Paul was there, he had to endure this storm because it was somebody else's fault. That's even more reason to deliver him. But notice in the beginning, before they set sail, he said, I perceive that this voyage will be with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo, but of our lives. Then he told them later, you should have listened to me and not have sailed. The wisdom that Paul had was don't get in the dumb storm. The wisdom of God was not, don't worry about it, Paul. Just forge ahead and whatever comes up, just stand up in the bow of the boat like Jesus did and rebuke the storm. That wasn't the direction he got. He said, you shouldn't. He was saying they should not have gone into the storm. Sometimes it's, I would say most of the time, if we can, it's best to avoid the storm. I'm talking about a natural storm. Evacuation is sometimes an excellent idea. Now, everybody has to follow their own inward witness. But my point is, why do we always assume that if we're people of faith, we're just going to stand our ground and rebuke the storm when two out of the three times, that's not what happened? Now, do we have authority over storms? Well... We know this, that storms like this that are destructive are, could not be entirely of God because number one, they kill, steal, and destroy. Number two, Jesus rebuked the storm. So we know that storm that he rebuked could not have been of God or else he was rebuking the work of God. So on the one hand, we, we, word of faith people, we always believe that every storm is of the devil and that God, God is never in a storm and we have the right to rebuke it every time. Well, uh, if, if, if the devil was in the storm where Peter walked on the water and if the devil was in the storm that Paul went through, why didn't the Holy Spirit lead them to stand up and rebuke the storm. So we have to understand that when God created uh, humanity, when God created man in the beginning, he gave us, he gave mankind authority in this earth. He said, I give you dominion over all the works of my hands. He said this in Genesis, but even more clearly in uh, Psalms chapter eight, he talks about, uh, the sun, the moon, the stars. God put this planet in the hands of man. And we know in the book of uh, first or Second Corinthians and, and then also Jesus referred to Satan as the prince of this world. Second Corinthians 4 refers to Satan as the God of this world. Well, when did he get to be God? Not big G, but little g. Satan became the God, little g, the ruler of this world, when Adam committed treason and gave him the authority that God had given mankind. Up until Adam sinned, mankind, through Adam, 
was the little g God of this world. I don't mean he was God. I'm just saying he was the ruler. He was the dominant person. Humanity was created to rule and to reign over this earth. Now we know that. But we also know that when man sinned, that authority got transferred from man's hand into the devil's hand. Now Jesus came back, or he came uh, uh, originally in his first uh, uh, advent. He came, and because he was not a direct descendant of Adam, uh, he was through his mother, but through his father, he was a descendant of God. He was he was. The, the Holy Spirit moved on Mary and, and that holy thing that was born in her was the Son of God. So Adam didn't have the same sin nature that all other men have. I'm talking about, excuse me, Jesus didn't have the same sin nature that other men have. And so Jesus walked through this life and demonstrated what it's like to be God in this earth. What it's like to have Absolute, absolute rule and reign in this earth. But Jesus wasn't in the same condition you and I are in. He didn't have a sin nature at all. Now, when Jesus went to the cross, when he died and buried, was buried and was raised from the dead, he broke Satan's hold over the planet and over the lives of those who believe. You as a Christian are no longer under the devil's hand. You're not, on, you're not under his authority. You're under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. His authority has been given to us. But we have to realize that this planet where unsaved men dwell is still under that curse. Now, we, a lot of times we say that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. He did redeem us from the curse of the law. He did not redeem us, he has not redeemed us currently from the curse of the fall. The curse of the fall is not the same as the curse of the law. The curse of the fall is still in effect. Jesus told Adam when he sinned, he said, because you've sinned, the earth is now cursed. And he talked about that it would not yield its fruit like it had before. That only through the sweat of your brow will, will, will you get fruit from the earth. And it'll yield thorns and, and weeds and so forth. And you can see that curses in the earth. Well, these storms that operate in the earth, they weren't there in the beginning. These storms that, that now weather systems are good and beneficial. Rain is good and beneficial. And so storms that aren't destructive have a good purpose. But destruction, the destructiveness in storms, that's not of God. God never intended to destroy people's lives. That's not his plan. But these things are still going to happen in the earth. And as believers... My, I have, here's what we need to take from this. You have authority over you, your home, your life, your things. This is what Kirby was, was illustrating. He told me on the phone that he took authority over his house and the keys. When storms come our way, I'm just talking about routine storms, I always do this. Unless it just slips up on me and I didn't know it was coming. I hear about a storm and my wife will tell you, I always rebuke that storm and I say, this storm will not damage my house. Neither hail 
wind, rain, or lightning will, dis- will, will damage my house from this storm and hail, wind, uh, uh, rain, and lightning will not damage this church building and our property. I always take authority over that. I have authority and you have authority over the things that belong to you. I'm not sure we have authority to rebuke every storm that comes and command it to dissolve and go into the sea. I'm not sure we do. I am sure I can protect what belongs to me. Now you say, well, you know, don't we have authority? Didn't Jesus exercise authority? Yes, he did. Jesus was not bound by the curse of the fall. He didn't didn't have to, to, to submit to that. Secondly, Brother Hagin made a statement. You know, Brother Hagin preached or a, 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 a wrote a book, published a book in 1967 entitled The Authority of the Believer. And then in 84, they reissued it and they changed it, the name to The Believer's Authority. And in The Believer's Authority, Brother Hagin added something that he did not have in his original book. And the reason they issued an, an edited version of this is Brother Hagin said that he had learned more and had gotten more insight about authority. And in the believer's authority, Brother Hagin in a couple of places made this statement. He said, when it comes to exercising authority for other people, and and when you're talking about rebuking a storm, you're talking about exercising authority beyond your house. It's on behalf of the planet, on behalf of of the state, whatever you're doing. He said, when we're ministering authority, we don't just exercise authority per se. Now, he said, in your own lives, you don't need God to speak to you. You don't need a manifestation of the Holy Ghost. You don't need anything. When the devil does anything to to, to threaten you, you have the right over your own life and your own things to stand up and say, no, you don't. But when it comes to other people, he said, we don't just exercise uh, uh, authority per se. We have to depend on the manifestation of the Spirit. And he gave illustrations in his own life, and he he used... uh, the situation where Paul, in the 16th chapter of the book of Acts, they went to Philippi and a little demon-possessed girl came up. She had a spirit of divination. She, had, she, she was a fortune teller, but she actually had, a, had an evil spirit operating in her, empowering her to tell people's fortunes. And the Bible says that this young girl followed them for many days, followed them crying out, these men are the servants of the Most High God. Like Brother Hagin said, you know, that would get old. I mean, who wants the devil testifying for you? So here this little demon-possessed girl is coming up for many days crying out, these men are the servants of the Most High God. And the Bible says that, that Paul was very annoyed. And finally he turned and said to the you know, spirit come out of her and then the evil spirit came out. Brother Hagin, in, in one of his visitations with Jesus, he asked Brother Hagin, he said, why did Paul wait many days before he cast that spirit out? And Brother Hagin said, I've thought about that many times myself. I've wondered. I don't know why. You tell me why. Jesus said he could not cast that spirit. Paul could not cast that spirit out of that young girl until the manifestation of the Holy Ghost came. Until the gift of faith came, he was not able to exercise authority in her life. Now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, 
through the gifts of the Spirit and the anointing come upon us, we can do some things in that type of situation that we can't do without the anointing. You know, the Bible talks about special faith. That's one of the gifts of the Spirit is special faith. Well, why is there a gift entitled special faith? Why is there a gift? We all have faith. Faith comes from hearing the Word. I remember when I was young in the Lord, I would, I would hear these Bible teachers, Brother Hagin and other people, describe the gift of faith. And they said when the gift of faith is in operation suddenly you just know what God's going to do. And I always think to myself, that sounds like regular faith to me. <laughs> I mean, if, if, if I'm asking God to heal me, I know what he's going to do. I'm exercising my faith, he's going to do what I ask him to do. I, I could not figure it out until I experienced the gift of faith. I've had occasions where the gift of faith has come on me and it's, and it's like a power just comes on you. It's like, it's like if somebody came up behind you and, and, and threw a cloak or a garment, a heavy coat like a top coat on top of it. You would know it. I've had several times where the gift of faith came on me like that and it was, it was different. I've been in situations where I've gone to minister to people and their situation was very desperate. They needed help badly. And while I'm going their way while I'm in the car. I'm praying in the spirit, building myself up. You know, I'm going to lay hands on them and, and minister to them. And I was doing that with my own faith. I was fighting the good fight of faith. Images and thoughts were coming up. Yeah, but it might not work. What if they don't get healed? What if they don't get delivered? What if nothing, hap- nothing happens? These thoughts were coming and I was putting them down. That's the walk of faith. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm, I'm fighting the good fight of faith. I'm saying, no, I'm, I'm, I'm authorized in the name of Jesus to lay hands on the sick. I'm authorized to minister and uh, get behind me, Satan. When that gift of faith came on me, though, it was like I was turned into another person. Suddenly, that, you know, what, it was just gone. There was not any room in me to even entertain the idea that that person wasn't going to get set free. I knew exactly what was going to happen. I knew exactly what God was going to do. And I say it like this, all faith is the same. I, you know, I used to have a swimming pool. The house we moved out of had an in-ground pool. It had a deep end and it had a shallow end. Well, the water in both ends of the pool are the same. There's just more water in the deep end. And you can do some things in the deep end you can't do in the shallow end. Well, the gift of faith is a measure of faith that's greater than ordinary faith. Another way to describe it is the gift of faith is God, the Holy Spirit comes upon you and suddenly he steps in and he starts exercising his faith through you. That's the best definition of it. Because that's exactly what's happened to me on those occasions. The Holy Spirit, I'm not saying that he took me over, but something happened to me and suddenly I was seized with a faith that was beyond faith that just comes from, from hearing the word. God was moving through me with faith. I said all that to say this, why is that necessary? If ordinary faith could always carry the day, we wouldn't need the special faith. There would be no need of the gift of faith if ordinary faith was always 
enough. For instance, when Daniel was thrown in the lion's den, with ordinary faith, he would have probably been eaten. I'm not, I can't say conclusively, but I'm just saying that there is a, there is a reason for special faith and there must be times when it's necessary and if it's necessary and it doesn't come, then ordinary faith is not going to be enough. Okay? Now, we know that Jesus said, whoever shall speak to this mountain be removed and cast in the sea. Well, number one, you know, we have, to, we have to interpret Scripture by Scripture. Was Jesus using that as an illustration of us using our faith, or was he actually saying we can cast mountains into the sea? Now, the first rule of Bible interpretation is you interpret everything literally. Unless it can't be interpreted literally. Like Jesus said, you must, if, you, if you're going to partake of me, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. He couldn't have been talking literally, obviously. That had to be figurative language. When Jesus said, whosoever shall speak to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, was he talking figuratively or literally? Was he using this as an illustration of us taking the situations that come in our life and rebuking them and commanding them to leave? Or was he actually talking about moving mountains? You know, when when Jesus said, uh, in my name, you'll take up serpents. Now, there are people in the Appalachians that interpret that literally. Up in the Appalachian Mountains, you know, there's some, there's some church groups up there that they bring snakes, rattlesnakes, into their church services. And they have a time in the service where if you feel emboldened and, and anointed, you know, people come up and grab those rattlesnakes and they hold them. And, uh, and to do that and not be bitten is evidence that, that you're operating in the power of God. Some people are bitten and some people die. Well, then that's taken that they weren't in faith. Is, is that what Jesus was talking about? He said, wait a minute, he said, these signs will follow them that believe in my name, they will take up serpents. Well, see, they interpret that as you're just supposed to do it. But the only example we have of someone taking up a serpent was when Paul, on that same voyage, picked up that serpent accidentally. He actually picked up some sticks. He didn't pick up the serpent. He picked up some sticks and there was a serpent in the sticks and it bit him and he slung it off into the fire and felt no harm. Now to me, that's the interpretation of that, of that passage in Mark. Why? It's the only example. Well, when Jesus said, speak to this mountain and be cast in the sea, there's not an example. There's no other. Now, Jesus said at one time, it's recorded in Matthew and Mark, just different words. He said, whoever shall speak to this mountain, be removed and be cast in the sea. But he never did that. He never cast a mountain into the sea. Can you imagine what would happen if you would cast a mountain into the sea? I mean, can you, can you even imagine? How many millions of metric tons of matter? I mean, it's unthinkable what would happen. So I'm not going to say that we can't remove a mountain and cast it to the sea. I'm just waiting on you to do it. (laughs) In my opinion, this is just my opinion, I think he's talking figuratively. Because if it could be done and not 
destroy the planet and send us off orbit somewhere, surely he would have done. Now, those things can happen. Joshua stood up and, and the sun stopped. In another occasion, was it Elijah or Elisha? The, 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 the earth actually went back. Now, how in the world could that happen? That happened, that happened on the word of a man. You think about that. For the planet to stop, that would destroy all life on the planet. Especially for the, for the planet to reverse itself and wipe out everything on the planet. But it happened because the Bible says it happened and nobody died. Can you believe that? Yeah, I believe it because the Bible says it happened. I don't think it happened on ordinary faith. I think, that's, I think that might be a step beyond ordinary faith. I know in, in, uh, Matt, in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, when he's talking about love, he said, uh, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I'm nothing. He said, if I, if I understand, if I have all knowledge and understand all mysteries, he said, if I have all faith so that I can remove mountains. So that tells me that things of that nature, I, I don't know where there would be a good reason to move a mountain. But he's saying that that would take special faith. That would take all faith. So you and I don't have all faith. We don't have all faith. We have a measure of faith, and that measure can grow, but we don't have all faith. We don't have all faith. And most of the time, we don't have a special measure of faith. So what am I saying in this? I'm saying that I'm not, I'm not telling you that no one can rebuke a storm and it changed direction. I know that, that Brother Hagin said that uh, uh, John, Alexander, uh, John Alexander Dowie, when he was, now if you don't know who he was, in the late 19th century, early 20th century, he was one of the first men in America that have, had a revelation of healing, divine healing. He was up in, in Illinois, and uh, he founded Zion City, Illinois, still there today. And he was a great man of faith. And Brother Hagin said that he read that Dowie said in his travels, he, caught, he crossed the ocean several times on you know, ships. And he said every time he was on the ocean, one of these big storms would come up and he'd walk out and he'd rebuke it and the storm would die down. I believe that. But what we don't understand sometimes is people say and, and, and report that certain things happened that doesn't mean that special faith wasn't involved. I don't doubt that Alexander Dowie had a, a, a kind of a consistent, ongoing, frequent manifestation of special faith. Just because he didn't identify it special faith doesn't mean it wasn't special faith. Just because uh, John G. Lake didn't identify his exploits as special faith doesn't mean it wasn't special faith. I am saying that there is special faith and there must be a reason for it. And if there's a reason for it, then there are times when without it, something's not going to happen. Ordinary faith is not going to always carry the day. So what am I saying here? Can we just willy-nilly, wholesale, every time a hurricane comes up, use our faith and rebuke it and expect it to go out to, the, to change direction and go somewhere? I'm not sure you can. Now, don't... don't be disappointed. Well, be disappointed if you want to. That's just, uh, 
Let me tell you this. You do it, let me know. Because I heard Brother Doodad doing this on this last storm, and, and all he did was, was if, if that was his faith, he sunk Jacksonville. If that was his faith working. Come on now. Let's just be honest about things. Did it happen or did not? The, the storm, I'm sure when Brother Doodad stood up and said, I rebuke that storm and I command you to turn and go out into the Gulf, I'm sure he didn't mean by way of Alabama. Because that's where it went. So what do we do? Well, there's another storm out here. What is it called? Maria? Huh? There's Jose. And then there's also Maria. Maria right now is taking the same track that Irma took. That doesn't mean a thing. Okay, it doesn't mean a thing. I'm not trying to scare you, but it doesn't mean a thing. It was a remote possibility that we would have had a hurricane right over us. It's still a remote possibility. What am I saying? In situations like that, claim your protection. Speak to your situation, your home, your, your, your house, your cars, your things. You have authority over those things. I do it all the time. I did it in this storm. I said, in the name of Jesus, this storm will not destroy. It's not my house. It's a rental, but I live there, and it's got my stuff in it. And I stood up and said, this storm will not destroy my house. There'll be no damage to this house, to my car. I left it outside. No, I left it up here, didn't I? Took it home. I left it outside. No damage to my car. I wasn't living under any trees either. But many of you were, and you did the same thing, and God protected you. That's where we need to live. We, we don't need to be building spiritual air castles that cannot be sustained, and then when harm comes, people are upset, and they wonder, well, why didn't it work? Well, it was never supposed to work, probably. So, but on the other hand, if the Holy Ghost, if the Holy Ghost comes on you, special faith comes on you, go for it. Go for it. It's not very common, but if it happens, go for it. Amen. Be led of the Holy Ghost. So we have authority. And like the Lord said this morning through tongues interpretation, he is our deliverer. He's always here to deliver. He delivered the, the apostle Paul and God gave him everybody in the boat because of the apostle Paul. He had authority. Not only that, an angel appeared to him. Let me know when an angel appears to you and gives you a word because it can happen. But even if it doesn't happen, we know they're working for us. Amen. And, and, and we can put them on assignment. Like the sister Willie, not silly Willie, Willie. I've never called you silly Willie. I did? Must have been under the anointing. I don't remember calling you that. But anyway, what she was talking about, she put her angels on assignment. That's scriptural. And, and thank God for that. So in this coming storm, no, no reason to fear. We're going to stand our ground. We're going to speak the word of God over our things. But let's not get into territory that we can't substantiate. Amen? Well, praise the Lord. Did that help you today? Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Some of you didn't appreciate it, but most of you did. Most of you did. It's true anyway. <laughs> Amen. Well, glory to God. Hallelujah. 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 God showed himself, didn't he? Yes, he did. Amen. He kept, us, he kept us safe. Glory to God. Now, we're going to pray about this storm today, Maria. 
We're not, you can do what you want to. I'm not going to rebuke the storm and command it to dissolve and turn around and go back to Africa or anything like that. But I am going to, you know, the Bible, Paul said, uh, in everything give thanks. And in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So we're going to pray that the storm goes somewhere else and doesn't hurt anybody. I'm not going to try to give direction to the storm and say I want it to take to, to this latitude and this longitude and I want it to go at this speed. I'm not going to do that. I, we are going to pray that the storm will weaken and because God can do that. Amen? And we're going to pray and ask him to do that. And we're going to pray that the storm will not uh, uh, bring destruction on anybody. Amen? And then... In addition to that, we're going to take authority over our own lives. I can't take authority over the whole stinking state, and neither can you. You can't take authority over John Brown down here who's living an, uh, an ungodly life and, 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 and keep everything off of him. You can't do that. But I can keep, I can keep the, un, the ungodly things off of me. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, why don't we, why don't we stand up then? Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Father, we just come today to you today. We're so grateful for, way that, for the way you protected all of us in our lives. We're thankful, Father, that your hand was upon us in this storm. You answered our prayers. You responded to our faith. Glory to God. And we're grateful. Thank you, Lord. We pray for the people in Jacksonville who have suffered so much and even people in our own area and, and throughout the state, South Florida and right on up who have suffered. We just ask you, Lord, to, to help people, encourage them, strengthen the body of Christ everywhere, give people answers in times like these. We thank you for your hand on us. And now, Lord, we, 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 we know there's another storm out in the Atlantic, Maria, the hurricane. And so we ask you, Father, that you would move uh, on this storm. Father, that it would not gain the, uh, 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 this kind of power as it comes inland. If it does come inland, Father, that it will not be this strong. We just pray, Lord, that, that people's lives will be spared. That homes and, and families and, and, and industry and money and so forth will not be disrupted. And, and we thank you for that, Father. We thank you, Lord, for, for uh, uh, moving on our behalf. And on behalf of, of other Christians around us where this storm is concerned, we thank you for that. And we know, Lord, that whatever happens, however it comes, we know, that Father, that you will protect us and you will give your angels charge over us to keep us in all our ways. We'll not so much as, as uh, bruise our heel against a stone because your hand is upon us. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Hallelujah. I, I think too, let me just give a, a, an, an addendum to this little message. Uh, it is common in uh, certain parts of the church world. Every time there's a storm or a natural disaster of any kind, people get on TV and they say, this is God's judgment. God sending judgment on America. Again, it is the default word of faith response to say, no, he's not. That's not the judgment of God. God doesn't do that. But is that always true? We know that God, some people say, well, God's not judging the world during the church age. Well, 
in the book of Acts, judgment fell on Herod. It says the angel of the Lord smote him and he was eaten with worms. Uh, to just, a lot of times, again, we build these spiritual air castles and we say this can't be and this never is and this always is. I don't like those kinds of, uh, of, of uh, blanket statements. I'm not so sure that judgment doesn't come. I know Brother Hagen, that this is just Brother Hagen, but in 2003, just before he went home to be with the Lord, he talked about judgment on the nation was coming. And uh, we know that uh, uh, after the church is raptured away, great judgment is coming on this world. And it's going gonna, gonna to come through natural, uh, supernaturally caused, but natural effects. Well, a lot of people believe, and I, and I believe there's some, some truth to it, that as we get closer to that time, that, that these times are not always just so clearly marked off, that as we get closer to these times, some of these things, natural disasters, might be happening more. Well, if they are, is, is, is God allowing that to happen? He could be. So I can't always say that a storm is not uh, 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 some element of judgment. I'm just not sure. I'll tell you, I'm just not sure. But I would not say categorically that it's never the judgment of God. I don't know. It might be. And when a nation like ours, who a nation that has been so uh, favorable towards the gospel has turned like it has. In some ways, we are, the United States of America is more reprehensible morally than many nations in Europe today. We believe and allow some things that even a lot of other ungodly nations that have never known God, I'm not talking about Europe, but I'm talking about other places of the world, don't even allow some of the things that we allow. Now, is God just going to let that go on? I don't know. But I can tell you this, that if these things do come as an act of judgment, he's not judging you, and he's not judging me, and we can stand up in the middle of that. Amen? And and before the worst comes, because in in this book you're, you're reading of Brother Hagin's vision, in 1950, he said, judgment is coming to America. And then he said, then that Jesus said, before the worst comes, that he will take his people out. Well, what about before the worst comes? I know when, when God delivered Lot out of Sodom, he took him out before the worst came. But he didn't take him out before some of the stuff came. He still had to put up with a lot of that ungodliness. And so what I'm saying is there may be some judgment in the days ahead but we're still God's people and he's not judging us. We, we're to stand in this day if that does happen, if these things are taking place, we're to stand as beacons of light and demonstrate to people that, that God's blessing and his redemption and his grace and his favor is available to anybody that will cry out to him. Amen? So again, we have these, these grand generalizations and I don't like them because I just don't think they can always be proven. Amen. We want to stick to what we know the Bible says. I know I have authority over me and my stuff. 
and you do too. Amen? And let's exercise that. Praise the Lord. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.